Mighty Father, we pray now that as we meet as your holy people around your holy word, that you would work by your spirit through that word to change us, to change the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. We pray, Father, that you would soften us and help us to think again about things that we've not thought of for some time. Pray, Father, also that you would work by your word to build up our love for you and for your son. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, Luke's gospel is amazing, isn't it? As you go through Luke's gospel, you keep seeing Jesus with power and wisdom and wonders and works. And, and as you see him, you, you just know that he, he is the one. He, this is the one that God has sent to save and rule his people. This is the real deal. This one is the savior king and nothing less. And you just, you can't wait for the day that he will come and bring that kingdom with him forever. Is that right? This is what you see. But then I think there are other times. Times when somehow the world comes crushing in, when, when the real, reality is that we live in very different times, almost a world away from those days when Jesus Christ was with us in the flesh, as Luke has showed us. A time when sometimes we see problems, not solutions, struggles, not saviors, pain, not peace, the reality of a broken world. So I think sometimes as we look at Luke, there's, there's this gap. Do you know what I mean? A gap between what we see in Luke of the power of the kingdom and what we see around us. A gap between the wonderful days of the Son of Man and, and those very difficult days of life under the sun. A gap which I think can become a challenge for us. A gap that, if we're not careful, can start to dishearten us or discourage us or even tempt us to start falling back into the world. But it is not a gap which was foreign to Jesus or to Luke or to those with him. Nor is it a gap that Jesus has not prepared us to face. For I think that part of what our text today is trying to do is help us to understand this gap, to see what's happening, and so respond rightly to it now. The text is St. Luke chapter 17, verse 20, through to chapter 18, verse 8. And in this text, we will see four things. In the first place, the kingdom of God, complete with its king, was present amongst them in those days. The kingdom of God, complete with its king, was present among them in those days. In the second place, they will long for one of those days, but not see it. They will long for one of those days, but not see it. In the third place, the kingdom and its king will indeed return suddenly and completely. The kingdom of the king will indeed return suddenly and completely. And then in the fourth place, that meanwhile, 
they are to pray in faith for that very thing. So in the first place, the kingdom of God complete with its king was present amongst them in those days. And this we see plainly from verses 20 and 21. The Pharisees had inquired of Jesus when the kingdom of God would come and his answer in short is, you're not going to see it coming. You're not going to hear of its arrival because it's actually already present with you now. As he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Well, what does he mean by this, in the midst of you? And, and what is the kingdom of God to start with? The kingdom of God broadly defined is that, that blessed place where God's kingly rule is found, where his will is done, where his subjects are subject to him. It is that kingdom that was pictured in Eden before the fall, where every part of creation was under his good and holy rule. It was pictured for us in Israel, at least how Israel was meant to be, with God's king ruling over God's people who gladly obeyed. And here in Luke, we've been seeing it pictured again, the kingdom of God in Jesus, God's greater king in whom we're seeing, the kingdom of God breaking through into their midst in whom we are seeing everything from mighty storms to hordes of demons subjected to his good power and rule. I think the Pharisees hadn't quite seen that last part. They hadn't recognized that this is God's king. They hadn't seen the signs of the kingdom amongst them. Perhaps they still anticipated that God would bring the kingdom kind of Kind of like Israel of old, that God would be coming to banish the Romans and re-establish the power and authority of Jewish law. But God's King Jesus has actually come for something far greater than they're expecting. He has not come for something as small as overthrowing Rome. He has come to overthrow the power of sin and death and the devil. He has already shown it by the works you have seen through Luke's gospel. You recall how with power and authority he commanded the unclean spirits and they came out. How with the finger of God he cast out demons for the kingdom of God, he said, had come upon them. How he rebuked the fever and it left. How he forgave the sins of the paralytic, how even the dead have been resurrected. In fact, as he summarizes, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to him. If you remember your Old Testament, this is what God's promised king is going to come and do on the day he brings his kingdom. Luke's gospel has been showing us this. This is the king, and he's bringing the kingdom with him. Now, it's very important that we recognize that that 
is what was happening then. We must recognize that in those days, God's king was indeed in their midst. And in him, all the blessings of his kingdom. But why is it so important? Well, if we are not clear on that past presence of the king and the kingdom, then we will have difficulty being clear about our future hope in the king and the kingdom. The revelation of God's king and the kingdom amongst them is, as it were, a glimpse of that much greater coming of the kingdom which will come for us. Perhaps sometimes you look around you and you see the toil and the troubles and the terrors of the world and, and you wonder, can it possibly ever be put right? You wonder, does anyone actually have the power to solve this? Can it be done? Perhaps you fret that the rich are growing richer and the poor are growing poorer and the needy are sold for a pair of sandals. Or perhaps you dread, you dread what tomorrow might hold for a dear sister or a dear brother who's in such an awful situation. Or you see the news and somehow your hope starts to fail as you see each disaster, each crash, each shooting, each flood, each hurricane. Dear brothers and sisters, if that is you, look back with me to this very Gospel of Luke. See here, Jesus, God's King, actually there, and all the power and blessings of the kingdom breaking through in him. Find there, in what he has already seen, fresh confidence that one day he both can and will bring the kingdom and end the reign of evil forever. You can be sure because he has already shown it. For the kingdom of God, complete with its king, was present amongst them in those days. In the second place, they would long for one of the they would one day long for one of those days, but not see it. They would one day long for one of those days, but not see it. And this we see from verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. This verse is very different to the previous verses. Here he's not speaking to the Pharisees in their blindness, but to the disciples to whom it has been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And he's not speaking so much about knowledge, but about the heart. These disciples having already now glimpsed the kingdom breaking through in God's king, will very soon long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Why? Because all too soon he will not be with them anymore. All too soon the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. All too soon his disciples are going to learn what it means to take up their cross daily and follow him. And as the reality of the hostile world that hated him and will hate 
them too comes crushing in, they will desire, their hearts will long for, they will seek after just one more of the days of the Son of Man. And I think that we can identify with them here as well, can't we? Because we too are faced with that same world that despised him and them. But more than this, we are faced with that same world in which actually the blind still stumble in darkness. The lame are still bedbound. Our children still get sick before our eyes. The power of sin still stalks around those whom we love. And do not our, our own hearts sometimes desire this? Do they not cry out? Please, oh please, let me see just one of the days of the Son of Man. Let my eyes see your salvation. Let me glimpse just a little of that blessed kingdom that is to come. But we will not see it. Just like they would not see it. Although they desired to see one more day. Now, at this point, we, we could rationalize and spiritualize a little bit. We could talk of how we do kind of see those days, of how every day is a day of the Son of Man by his Spirit who dwells in us, or how every day God is working miracles amongst us as he turns the eyes of the blind to the light of forgiveness and eternal life, or of how we might even see glimpses of the goodness of Christ in our love for each other. More or less, all that would be true and comforting. But it would miss the point of what Jesus is saying. They will desire to see such a day, and they will not. And that is the end of the sentence. They will desire it, but they will not see it. And that is hard, isn't it? We know that Jesus is what we need. We know he has what, he needs, what we need. We know he can do what we need. But we also know that we do not see it today. It's kind of like playing peekaboo with a baby. Have you ever played peekaboo with a baby? Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but peekaboo does not work with toddlers. Have you noticed that? doesn't work with toddlers. It's thoroughly uninteresting to toddlers. And the reason is this, toddlers, by that age, they, they understand that you still exist and you will be back even though they can't see your face for a moment. But babies, not so much. It's actually a shock to them when you disappear behind your hands. And a wonderful surprise when out of nowhere you reappear in their life. And I suppose if we push that analogy a little bit, we need to become a little bit more like toddlers than babies. We need to trust in the days of the Son of Man, even though we do not now see them. And we need to trust that one day God's King will be back with the kingdom and everything he has promised forever. He will be back. Now, I know that can be difficult. I know that sometimes when our problems are really serious, we just long to see a little bit of that power right now. We long to see his power just cut through the struggles and the difficulties of my life right now, please. We long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, don't we? 
But Jesus says, they will not. And we're going to have to come to terms with this. Because if we don't, it will lead us to all kinds of problems. For example, I read an account recently of a pastor who really struggled to come to terms with this. He couldn't understand why he didn't see things now like he sees in the Bible in the days when Jesus was amongst them with his kingdom in the flesh. And let me warn you, I think he got it entirely wrong. He writes, and, and I quote, We had a friend with leukemia, and she believed that she would be healed. We prayed that she would be healed. On her deathbed, she still believed she would be healed at any time. She died, and we prayed for her to be raised from the dead for a long time. We didn't understand, and it was hard for me. It was several years before I figured out how we allowed the devil to beat us on that one. It's a terrible conclusion to reach, isn't it? We allowed the devil to beat us on that one, as if it's his fault if the blind don't see, as if it's your fault if the lame don't start to walk or the sick aren't raised or the dead, or the sick aren't healed or the dead aren't raised. Of course it's not your fault. The pastor who writes has got a serious case of CCS, calendar confusion syndrome. The issue, yeah, it's a special medical disease, I just made it up. <laughs> the issue is not that he failed to fight the devil enough to get his miracle. The issue is that although, yes, he longs for one of the days of the Son of Man, and that's right, he will not see it like Jesus already said. However, that doesn't mean that the kingdom will not ever come. In fact, as our next point will show, the kingdom and its king will indeed return, but not piecemeal, here and there, 30%, but suddenly, completely, and forever. Yet until that day comes, we will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and not. Okay, where are we? First place? The kingdom of God, complete with its king, was present among them in those days. Second place, they will long for one of those days and not see it. And now in the third place, the kingdom and its king will indeed return suddenly and completely. And this we see from verses 23 through 35. Here, God's king uses two striking illustrations to reassure his disciples that the days of the Son of Man will indeed come back with power and permanence. Because you see, the temptation is always to stop short, to turn aside, to fail, to persevere, to, to give up waiting for his coming, to try to shortcut it and see one of the days of the Son of Man right now amongst us. And as he said, they will say to you, look, there... Or look here, perhaps this is what's behind the big crowds that sometimes come out to see those who can work signs and wonders. Now it is right, as we've seen, to long to see, one of, to see the kingdom of God in the days of the Son of Man. Yet our Lord warns us here not to run after it 
even when they say, look, look. For as the king himself warns us, do not go out or follow them. For the kingdom will come back, but it will not be coming back gradually. It will come back suddenly. It will be, as he says, like lightning flashing from one side of the sky to the other. When it comes, it will be sudden and you will know it. It will be like the days of Noah and also like the days of Lot. The Lord says, verse 26, follow it with me. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now these two illustrations of the coming of the kingdom are joined together using a magic word. Verse 28, first word, what's it say? Likewise, likewise. That is to say, these two images, Noah and Lot, are making the same point. We're not to think about animals coming two by two, which is only in Noah. We're not to think about Lot's daughters, which is only with Lot. We're to figure out what's that common thing between the two that our Lord is drawing out for us. And it is this. In both of them, the day when God's kingly rule was seen on earth was a day like any other. In both it was a day when people ate and drank and bought and sold and married and were given in marriage. In both it was a day when sinners felt as secure in their sins as any other day. In both it was a day when suddenly and without further warning, catastrophic judgment fell on the wicked. And in both it was a day when God marvelously saved his people for his kingdom. That is how the kingdom of God will come on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And when that day comes, the urgent instruction will not be, come, look, but stand firm. Do not look back, even to save your mortal life. Do not be tempted to go back to the wickedness of the world, or you might share its end. As verse 31 puts it, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. For on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, the kingdom will come like lightning across the heavens, and the judgment will be complete and final on all the wicked. And it will also be, let me say, a fine-grained, precise judgment, a perfect distinction between wicked and righteous in which no one will be spared. The judgment will not be 
like with Noah. We read in Genesis that Noah was a righteous man, and in Hebrews, how he lived by faith. Yet it was not just Noah who was spared on that day, was it? His whole family was spared along with him. But on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, it will not be like that. On that day, as our Lord says, verse 34, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. Wife, you will not save your husband. And husband, you will not be saved for the sake of your wife or your parents or your children or your colleagues or anyone else, no matter how much they pray and plead for you. But the soul that has sinned will die. But not only this, the judgment will not be like Sodom either. In those days, there were wicked people all over the world, but fire and sulfur fell only on Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet the coming judgment will not be limited to just some part of the world, but fall upon all sinners at once. It will fall on every place that sin and rebellion is found against the king. As it is written, they said, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Where there is sin, there will also be judgment. For make no mistake, when the kingdom of God comes forever, it comes with the destruction of all his enemies and an end to evil and wickedness and sin forever. When it comes, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that judgment of God is a fearful thing to think about, isn't it? But how should we be responding to this kind of a passage. Well, I want to suggest that the right response is gonna be different for different people. The response for Christians should be one thing, whereas the response for non-Christians should be something a bit different. Now, if you are not a Christian and you are here today, then I thank God that you are here with us. It's wonderful that you're here. Because I think for you, this passage may just be one of the most important things you ever hear in your life. For consider this, this Jesus who Luke has shown with an absolute certainty to be God's king with the power of the kingdom is coming to bring that kingdom. And he has just warned that that means a terrible and a final judgment upon all the wicked of the earth. A judgment from which there will be no escape no leniency, no quarter. Now, if you're anything like me, then your temptation is to go through life deceiving yourself. We try to kid ourselves that this destruction of the wicked, it doesn't mean me, that means other people. We, we lie to ourselves that we're not bad people, that we're, we're at least as good as other people, that we are even sometimes kind and generous and caring. But deep down, we know that that's not really true, don't we? 
deep down where we don't like to think, in the murky depths of our hearts, we know that actually the little so-called good that we do is mostly to make ourselves feel better for the evil we know we keep thinking and planning and doing. And the rest of it is probably just done to save face. So we hide it. I don't blame you. I, I find it hard to face up to reality as well. It's so easy to kid ourselves that we're not one of the wicked, isn't it? But on that day, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. For God knows the very thoughts of the imaginations of our hearts and nothing on that day will be hidden from him. So if you are hearing this and you are not a Christian, then there can only be one possible response, and that is to turn yourself to the only one who could possibly save you from the wrath that is to come, to turn to that king, Jesus, and beg his mercy and forgiveness of your sins. And the very, very good news is this. As we heard earlier, he first had to suffer many things and was betrayed by the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and was killed. Why? Precisely so that you can escape the wrath that is to come if you call upon him in faith. This Jesus is not just God's king with the power of the kingdom who is coming. He is also God's king who loves you so much that he suffered the wrath of judgment for you in your place on the cross. As it were, he suffered what is coming for you ahead of time so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So if you're not a Christian today, turn to him even now Turn to him and find in him forgiveness of your sins today. And on the day he brings his kingdom, enter through him into the joys of that kingdom. For the day will come when the kingdom and its king will indeed return suddenly and completely. But what if you are a Christian, as I think most of us here are? What if you're already someone who has turned to trust in God's king? How should you respond to the fact that his kingdom will come? Well, first of all, this should help us to take heart. For this is the comfort for all of our struggles. This is the reassurance that things will be okay in the end. This is the promise that one day a kingdom will come where we will find perfect rest with the Lord. Take heart from this promise. His kingdom will extend fully. And don't look back. But how should we take heart? How should we not waver? How are we to keep on trusting in God meanwhile? What does that look like? Well, this is our fourth point. In the fourth place, meanwhile, they are to pray in faith for this very thing. Meanwhile, they are to pray in faith for this very thing. And this we see from the last part of our passage, Luke chapter 18, and this is verses 1 through 8. Here our Lord gives us a parable 
And it's an easy parable to understand because he gives us the meaning of the parable right at the beginning. Verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Do you see? Even the unrighteous judge who has no fear of God or interest in justice or care of God's people will give justice to the one who calls upon him repeatedly. Then how much more can we be sure that we will be heard when we pray to our righteous God, the one who is perfectly just, the one who loves us so much that he died for us? How much more can we be sure that he will hear us. This, do you see, is that answer to that longing, to that gap, to our desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. This is the right response to the reality of life in this fallen world. This is what we are to do. We are not to turn away from God or falter, but to turn to him in prayer and not lose heart, for we know he will hear us and bring the justice he's promised. Now, dear sisters and brothers, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever wondered why, in the Lord's Prayer, there is no line that says, heal the sickness of my children? There is no line that says, stop those who misuse and abuse your people. There is not even a line that says, give justice to your elect. Have you ever wondered that? Why are they not there? It's not because they're wrong things to pray, they're good things to pray, but they're not in the Lord's Prayer because they are already contained in those words, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are to pray, most of all, that God will bring justice to his elect, that that kingdom will come, that the Son of Man will be revealed. We are to keep praying to him, trusting that no matter what we have to endure meanwhile, he will certainly and surely return and bring the kingdom. As verse 7 reassures us, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So do not lose heart as you wait for the coming of his kingdom. Pray in faith for that very thing. Now our passage ends with a little bit of what I think is a challenge to us. Our Lord says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He doesn't answer the question. He doesn't expect them to answer it either, and, and they don't. So what's it about? Well, I take it that the question is left hanging as a challenge to his disciples then and to us today. 
A challenge to be the ones who take heart and say, yes, Lord, you will find faith in me, even if the whole world falls away. I will trust your promise and wait for your kingdom. For I know that one day soon, your king will come back, your enemies will be destroyed, and I will enter by faith the days of the Son of Man forever, where we will all be God's people, living in the presence and rule of God's just and holy King Jesus, the King who so loved us that he gave his life to save us. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we pray for the coming of your kingdom, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and our hope in that kingdom, our trust in your king who died to save us. We pray, Father, that when times are hard, you would reassure us with the comforts of your word, of the days of the flesh of your son, the kingdom in him, the promise that he gives us that one day he will return with his kingdom forever. We pray also, Father, for those who do not yet know and trust him, that you would draw them too, to a saving faith in that king, that they would join us with him in the joys of your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.